I think we are now heading our sermon. Thank you for the clock. Thank you for, thank you for your prayers. Okay. So, welcome. I know we're still taking ties, but welcome. Okay, later today, people are going to be watching what? Right, you know what I mean? The big game, the, you know, the whole nine yards, right? Now, I do want to make something clear. The teams that are supposed to be in the game are the Seahawks and the Broncos. Okay? Amen? Okay, I don't know what happened. I do know that there was a last-second drive ending in a field goal by Atlanta. But I do know that in the Broncos' case, and that was heartbreaking, but I do know in the Broncos' case it was much worse because they were, Baltimore, who's now in the Super Bowl, Denver had them beat. And there was a couple of seconds left, and it was basically a Hail Mary pass. And the defensive back on the Broncos did the unpardonable sin of letting the other receiver behind him, catching the Hail Mary pass, tying up the game, Baltimore wins the game, right? Now, I do want to tell you something, just as a little side note. I, nobody can even remember the name of the player that did that. He certainly has never been seen or heard from since. I prefer to think that he's in, you know, a safe place like, say, Siberia. Okay? Actually, though, you know, I got a lot of friends in Denver, and I call back. And, you know, the way they talk, it's kind of like, you know, you know, we know where the body is, but nobody's talking. Okay? So I'm just saying, all right? So, all right, so what, what we're doing is football is a game where one team is trying to advance to a goal and the other team is resisting, right? So you're trying to go some direction and you're being resisted in that direction, right? That's what it's about. Now that, of course, is very close to our own spiritual walk, right? You're going towards something. Now I've got Chris coming up, so Chris, come on up. Okay, now, I, now this is a guy who could play football. He could, he could do about anything, and he, every, whatever he could do, just watch, he, you know. Okay, you get the point? You see what I'm saying? Okay, you know, it's like, you know, I got to look up. All right, big, big, strong. All right, now, what I want you to understand is, see, in football, the idea is I'm trying to go this way, and he's resisting me. So, right? So there's the, and we think of, a little bit, we think of our spiritual walk this way, right? It's a resistance against. We're trying to go, we're being resisted against. Now, I need to switch metaphors for you to understand where we're going today, and this, and this analogy should show it. But I want to show you something. We're going to switch sports to, let's just say that we're in a fist fight. We're in, a, in an alley and we're in a fist fight. Now, he goes for a good roundhouse. Now, I got, I got one of three options right here. The first one is, is I can duck, right? In which case, that works out okay for me. Right up until the time at which I duck, he knows I'm going to duck, and I get cold cocked, right? And now all of a sudden, you know, the spit and the blood and the tooth is flying out again in the slow motion, all right? Okay, so my first option is to duck. That works sometimes. It doesn't work a lot of times. It doesn't work very long. The second option is he comes at the roundhouse, and I try and block him. See, I resistance, right? Well, the, the problem is, how old are you? 28, 29. So who can, do the, who can do the advanced calculus to tell me how much younger and stronger, therefore, he is than me? A lot. Right? A lot. There you go. See? There you go. That was a good Microsoft kind of answer. More than you want to know, Okay. So the point is, is I go to resist him, and the fact is, is, I mean, he's coming at me with everything he's got. You know what he's going to do? He's going to drive my own fist into my face, and the tooth, and the blood, and the spit will go flying, right? So that, that resistance thing isn't going to work so good. So there is a third option, though, right? He comes at me, and what I do is I don't try and resist him. What I do is I take the energy that he's moving at me, and I actually go with it. See what I mean? I take... I take the energy that he's bringing and I just let it happen and I bring it around and redirect it to something else. Now you got to thank Chris. Thank you, Chris. Okay? Now, <laughs> he just beat up the pastor, didn't he? That's bad. Okay. What's that? <laughs> oh, I beat up the congregant. Yeah, that happens a lot in churches. All right. <laughs> Look, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. This is that redirection. This is, think about it here. What's the real sense of, we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I want you to just process this for a second, okay? What I'm saying is, is that every temptation, every sin, even every failure in your life can be redirected in a way that it isn't punching you out, knocking you down, 
but is instead working to the glory of God. That he's getting a victory over increasingly. Now, does that sound like something you want? That every temptation, every sin, every failure even is going to be able to use for the glory of God? Does that sound like a good idea? Because what we did last week was, is we said, you know, we, we, we looked at, you've got to want, if you want to be empowered, that's the series that we're in, and empowered simply means this, that the Holy Spirit is coming upon you so that God can do through you what he's called you to do. That it has to be God doing it through you. That's what empowered means. And what we did last week is we said, do you want that? And I assume by the fact that you're here this week that you said yes. I do note that there might be a few less people, so, you know, God bless them, okay? But anyway, bottom line, you said yes, right? And so now what we're going to do, that means you're in the game. Now what we're going to do is we're going to look at offense and defense. We're going to look at what Satan's trying to do, what your own heart is trying to do, what's happening in your life in terms of this resistance, and what do you do about it in order to overcome it? Okay, that's where we're headed. Andrew, who's camp? Awesome choice, Adam. That's awesome. Andrew, amongst many, many other things for a long time right now, does our youth group along with the steering team and so on, and he is amazing. He still works with Odal. We get the spot program that happens here after school about three times a week now. And it's just, you know, I tell you, I come in this building all the time, and this guy is ministering to people and making a difference in their lives. So an amazing man. I want you to stand up so that you have to pray standing up so people can see you. Okay? All right? So pray for the sermon. Lift up another church, too. So, God, I just thank you that we can gather here to worship you and to uh, hear from you. And, God, I just pray that you speak through Kurt tonight um, with the sermon, that you just use him to touch all of our hearts in a way that only you can. And I pray for Emerald City Bible Fellowship, God, that you will empower their ministry as well. So, God, thank you for letting us be here. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Love you. All right. Now, like I said, we're in our series Empowered. Okay. Graphics, we're still working on it. I've already got some pieces, and thank you guys for what you're doing, but, you know, busy lives and all that. So we'll, we'll be getting to it soon. But bottom line is where we are is we're at the beginning of Luke. And Luke, remember, we're doing Luke in 1 Corinthians, and Luke is about how to do the baptism of the Holy Spirit empowerment right. And 1 Corinthians is the problems that we can get into, so it helps as a corrective. So... What we got is, let me just, we got Zechariah, who is a priest, who's ministering in the temple. They, he's old, his wife is old, they don't have a kid, that's an embarrassing thing, it's a problem, blah, blah, blah. The bottom line is, he's in the temple, the angel reassured him, don't fear, Zechariah, it's Gabriel, your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth, your wife, will bear a son by you, you're to name him John. Anybody know what John means? Anybody name John and knows what it means? No, it does not mean Juan. <laughs> Juan actually means. What it means is, is grace from God. But it's not just grace from God. It's overflowing grace from God. It's like overflowing favor, overflowing grace from God. Now that's what this John is, right? He's this, he's this, they're old. They shouldn't be having a baby. There's overflowing grace that God is giving to this couple. So uh, you're going to leap like a gazelle for joy. Not only you, many will delight in his birth. He's going to achieve great stature with God. He'll drink neither wine nor beer. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment he leaves his mother's womb. He will turn many sons and daughters of Israel back to their God. He will herald God's arrival in the style and strength of Elijah. Wait, just a second. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment he leaves his mother's womb. I'm really digging the message in Luke right now because it, it's capturing the spirit of what's being said better than the other translations, but always be careful when you got a paraphrase, because what he's saying right here is he's saying he'll be filled from the moment he leaves his mother's womb, and it's possible in the Greek it means that, but we do have that story, remember when Elizabeth is carrying John, and Mary is carrying Jesus, and they meet, and the baby leaps within Elizabeth's womb, so there's a sense that it's actually in the womb, and I think that that's the better way to put it, that's the way most translations will handle it, it's possible to go this way, but I just think why, you know? So um, he will turn many sons and daughters. He'll herald God's arrival in the style and strength of Elijah. We'll probably do that next week or a little on. But then he will soften the hearts of the parents of the children. Can I say that's backwards, right? The problem is children are rebellious. Actually, when things get really bad, when things get to a place to where it's about over with, it's actually the parents 
that have gotten so far from God that they're not raising their children properly. Now, I have to say, isn't that exactly what's happening right now? We have a whole bunch of parents that are raising their kids in a way that you just kind of go, really? Really? This is, you know, the, the admission of the Lord, the, the, the presence of the Lord, the, 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 just what's right and wrong and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it's amazing what's going on right now. And what he's saying is when he brings this movement, when he does this thing, this repentance thing, it'll be the parents that go, oh, man, I really messed up. They'll turn their hearts back to raise their children properly. See that? So it's kind of a cool thing, and it just demonstrates that it's here and now, too. Okay? He'll kindle devout understanding amongst hardened skeptics. Amen? That should be our prayer. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, take people that are hardened skeptics and, and heal them, make their hearts soft, and bring them to you. In love, show them who you really are. We get why they're that way. God, you're the one that gets how to get them out of that and into you. So in Jesus' name, let it be. Thank you, Lord. Now, the one that we're, the verse that we're really going after is, he'll get people ready for God. Right? That's what John does. He gets people ready for God. How does he do it? Well, you know, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. A really pleasant sort of fellow to go hang out with. Okay? I mean, what it's actually being said is, is John goes from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented. Big word for today. Repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Here's what's being said. John comes before God comes to make people deal with the fact that they need help. To make people deal with the fact that they are making choices that are not towards God, but towards the thing that there really is sin in their life, that there really is a problem, so that when God comes... They'll receive what he's doing in order to save them, which in Jesus' case, of course, is the cross. I mean, the idea is, is we've made choices to separate ourselves from God. We've made choices to go our own way, and in so doing, it necessarily separates us from God and his better plan for us. And so what's being said is, is that Jesus says, I come, and on the cross, I take all of the consequences of that decision, all of that separation, that's why he says on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He takes all of that separation on himself, all the consequences of that, and then he, he himself doesn't, he dies because of our sin, but he himself didn't choose to ever go anyway but God's. So death can't hold him, so he comes back up again, and there's new life. And now we're connected to Christ who's paid for us. Up, we're born again, the whole nine yards. Okay, that's the message, that's the truth, that's what Jesus Christ does, and that's what we're doing when we're saying that John is going to prepare people to receive that. See, so John is preparing people for God to come. Now, I just want to take that for a second and I want us to bring it into our series because in our series, what we're doing is we're talking about being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Well, who's the Holy Spirit? God. So when God's coming, there still is a sin issue, right? There's still a problem. I mean, think about it this way, see? When Jesus dies, this is a really fun little just for you, right? When we think of Jesus, what do we think he came to do? Number one, he came to show us what life with, with God should look like. Now, by the way, understand, how did he do that? Born of the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit. Born of the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit. He lives the life that God has for all of us by the Spirit, okay? So the first thing he does, he shows us what life is supposed to look like. The second thing he does, of course, is what we just talked about. He dies for our sins, as we say, right? But did you know that there's a third thing that he does? He prepares the way for God to come. Just as John prepared the way for God to come, who was Jesus, Jesus prepares for God to come in the Holy Spirit. See that? See, he says it right here. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the helper will not come to you individually. See, Jesus, one person, one place. That's it. Holy Spirit in every person, every place. This is better for you. It's more intimate. It's God himself living in you, making you new. Jesus made you sinless so that God himself could come and live in you. That's what that's about. So just as John made it possible for Jesus to come, Jesus makes it possible for the Spirit to come. See that? 
Now again, we're still one step removed from that. And the step that we're removed is, is this idea that the Holy Spirit should come upon and move through. And let me tell you a story right now about how sin impedes that. Because what we're seeing is, every time God wants to come, there's a sin problem that needs to be dealt with somehow, right? Okay, now. So back in 1983, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is what I mean. That's a synonym for being empowered. It's this idea of the Holy Spirit coming upon, moving through, making a difference. Now, when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, when I got empowered by God, man, I'm on fire. And I, I literally prayed for hundreds of people in the next, well, I still do, but hundreds of people I prayed for. Now, there were two people that were several years apart, but that I remember very vividly praying for them because with some exceptions that I will tell you stories about some other time, and I probably have some of them, but with some exceptions, the bottom line is everybody I ever prayed with ended up moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's whatever, you know, we asked God to empower them and they moved in it, and that's what they're still moving in to my knowledge to this day. Hundreds of people. But two people, while I was praying for them, very definitely in my heart, I just knew this wasn't happening. Now, this is very different than the person who has been, had everybody pray around him and they say, well, I didn't pray in tongues and therefore I don't. We're going to talk about that in weeks to come and so on. Don't, that's, that's misunderstanding it. That's getting the sign before, that's getting the cart before the horse. Okay? So I'm not talking about the person who is sitting there and you think you're not empowered and the fact of the matter is you are. That's the real truth. There's a whole lot of people walking around today that don't know what this is, but they're still moving in it because they're asking God to empower them, and he is. And he's moving through them in ministerial ways. Okay? I, I just have to say it, but there's a guy sitting here right now that moves very powerfully in the Lord, and people prayed around him. He goes, well, I don't know if I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'm going, look at the fruit. <laughs> look at the evidence. It's you. I love you. Okay? You're doing good. You still don't know who that is, but... That blessed him, I hope. <laughs> now, these two people, though, while I was praying for them, I was quite conscious of just a barrier. God was not going to do this. And I didn't know what to do with it. In both people, two happened to be two women, could have been a man and a girl, or two guys, didn't matter, gender's not important. But in both of these women's life, what happened was, within two months... They were both in blatant sin of an affair. And the key is that they would not repent of. Now watch. See, there's a kind of sin that we do that, you know, I mean, somebody's working too hard and it's late and the way the workplace is anymore. And all of a sudden, and we all can go down that and let me not go down that road. But you get how all of a sudden something happens and you didn't mean for that to happen. And when it happens, you're going, oh my happening and I can't believe I did this and you're going back to the Lord and as long as you're going back to the Lord his blood is covering you that's repentance bringing yourself under the covering of his love see that so that's not what we're talking about here what we're talking about with these two people let me show you the blatancy of their sin and it was the same with the other one too but with this one let me tell you this we're down in LA the husband comes over and he says oh my god my husband my wife's having an affair Really? Yeah, you're kidding me. I, we, you know, we hop in the car, we drive over to his condo, literally drive over to his condo, see this woman walking down the path, having parked a car, going to their condo with this guy. And we walk up to her and we say, I so want to use her name, and I'm not going to, but if it slips out, okay? But the bottom line is, is that we walk and we go, what are you, what are you doing? Now, now listen to this. Her husband and Julie and I are standing there. She turns to the guy that she's having an affair with and says to the guy that she's having an affair with, this guy is a guy that likes me and he really wants to, me to date him and these are just his friends and what they're trying to do is they're just trying to get me to date him and so they're trying to throw you under the bus. I'm not married to him. He's more like a stalker than he is. He's not somebody I'm even remotely interested in. I'm, I'm with you. We're dating. <laughs> <laughs> right? Now, here's what our soap taught us last week about that kind of sin. That's a deliberate sin, as Hebrews says. That's a deliberate sin without any thought of repentance. This is, this is what I want to do. It doesn't matter what God said. This is what I'm going to do. And it's done without any repentance to bring you back underneath the blood. See what I mean? Now, do let me say something, okay? This is not just her that's doing this. This is happening in the church in a huge degree right now. Right now, 
If you're between 18 and 24, the chances of you getting, in America, the chances of you getting to your wedding day a virgin are 90 to 92% have had previous sexual experience. Okay? So right there, right? In the evangelical community, between 18 and 24, people that say that they're evangelicals, guess what percent? It's 80 to 85% are not getting to their wedding day. We ju- I just did a couple of marriages, one of whom is here right now, and, and they, bo- they all did. And it was, honestly, I can tell you those numbers are real because I do a lot of premarital counseling and God's grace is there and there's repentance and all kinds of stuff that goes along with, but the bottom line is, okay, it, it, things are tough. But let me just show you how really tough they are right now. now. Again, I'm saying somebody who did something and had you need to understand God's grace covers you, and you want to listen really hard to this sermon because it doesn't just cover you. I want you to understand how God actually uses that to redirect it and turn it into his glory. Okay? So, so don't get hung up right now, but just hear this last little stat. Right now in, this, in the world, okay, all the all Americans 18 to 24, 41% of people are having sexual relationships in a hookup style, which means there's no romantic attachment it's just sex now i believe if you went underneath those numbers i believe on the female side of that you would find an awful lot of those women are thinking that something would develop out of that they're using sex to get to romance right i mean that's how we are right now right i mean the whole thing in any sitcom or whatever is you know well i've slept with him but i can't tell him i love him see that's the bass awkward that we're dealing with right now okay but but the bottom line is if 41% in the, secular, in, the, in the world at large are, take a guess what the percentage is amongst 18 to 24 self-identified evangelicals. It's 20%. That means one in five Christian men and women at between 18 and 24 are having physical relationship with no romantic idea to it at all. There's not romance and then they fell into something and something happened and they didn't want it to happen and they go back to God and repent and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure that some of those 20% something, there is a repentance aspect in it, but it does still leave an awful lot of Christians who are just blatantly sinning right in God's face because they really don't understand who he is. And so just to put that one to rest... Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes, practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusive, cheat people, none of these inherit the kingdom of God. That blatant sin for which there is no sacrifice. Right? Now again, that's not what we're talking about today. I need to say that because it's a real problem. But that wouldn't, I, that wouldn't frankly be hardly anybody in here it's nobody in here let's just say that okay there's nobody in here that's done that there are a lot of people in here however who have done this i really don't want to do 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 this i really dang i did it god help me i really don't want to do this i really don't want to do this i really you see There's a lot of people in here that are dealing with that. I do want to make something clear, though. That's not all Christians in in one sense, in this sense right here. See, there are some people that just don't seem to have as much trouble with, you know, sort of the blatant sins that we think of. You know, being sexually active or, you know, drinking or, I mean, you know, being a drunkard or drug addict or, you know, whatever, right? You know what I mean? There's all kinds of anger. You know, there's a, there's a longer list up there. There's all kinds of things that people can be into and we can look at them and we can say, that's sin, you shouldn't be doing that. And the person will be saying, I know. I, I'm trying. I'm trying to get out of this. I don't know how to get out of this. See what I mean? I'm, it's a besetting sin. But there are a lot of people who actually don't struggle very much with those sins. They just don't struggle with that blatant stuff. They just, you know, they're either self-disciplined naturally or they taught themselves self-discipline or whatever it is that they're doing. They're just in this place to where they just really don't struggle with it. And you know what? God bless them. That is awesome. It's interesting in that it's very different than we think, though. What we think about those people is, see, those are the people that God really loves. And by the way, we can kind of look at their lives. People that have less struggle with sin do tend to do better in life. That's not a rule, but it's a rule of thumb. That's just the way it is. And so you look at that and you go, wow, you know, it's, it's like God proves it right there. No, that's just if you're not messing yourself up, you tend to do better. 
If you're a self-disciplined person, you tend to do better, right? So there's all kinds of other explanations, but what we do is we take that and we spiritualize it, and what we turn it into is, is that person that just has it easy. I mean, some people really just naturally, they were born with it. They just don't tend to struggle so much with sin. And we tend to think that those are the lucky ones, and actually be very careful right now. Do not mishear what I'm about to say. But the analogy would be it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It actually turns out that the people that are really struggling with their sin have an advantage. I don't I want to say this, though. That doesn't mean the person that isn't struggling with it is not able to get into heaven. It, doesn't mean, it just means there's a problem. And let me show you a couple of places in Scripture. I could actually show it to you over and over, and you wouldn't like me because I'd go too long and you'd miss the Super Bowl. Okay? <laughs> One person prayed like this. Now, in this illustration, the person is a Pharisee, and the thing that Jesus is doing is he's contrasting the pride of the Pharisee against the humbleness of the hated tax collector. Okay? Everybody hates a tax collector, even today, right? If you are a tax collector in here, we love you. But everybody else hates you. Okay, no. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Look, that person prays like this, oh God, I thank you that I'm not, now here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to read this differently than it's written and said. I'm asking you to read this as, this is the person that you know that just, you know, and you may be that person, who just doesn't tend to struggle with sin a lot. So, so take the pride out of it. There can be a kind of, not pride, but there can be, they could be saying, you know, I, I'm thankful I'm not like those other people. I mean, really, thank you, God. I could be like those other people. I'm, thank you. Now, that's awesome because that's bringing you to God, right? You're actually thanking him for something that really is you were just born with it, so it's not really your, it's not really, you can't really say great. See what I mean? You just haven't been born that way. You see what I'm saying? Now, other people got to it through discipline and they learned it, and that's awesome. That will serve you well in all kinds of fields and so on. But I want you to read this without the pride element in it in any fashion. I want you to just hear this. One person prays like this. Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, crooks, adulterers. Heaven forbid like this tax collector. I thank you that I'm not like that. And in fact, not, am I, not only am I not like that, but look, I fast twice a week. I tithe on all my income. I really, I don't do the bad things and I do do the good things. See? Now, what does Jesus say in this story? And again, we're reading it differently than what he said it. But I just want you to hear even with these ears, the bigger point. The tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And is he? Yes. I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before the Lord. Now, I think that the person that has a natural propensity to do the right things and so on, they're actually, depending upon God, they're justified too. But hear what he's saying here. Who's the person that he's commending? It's the sinner. No, 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 that's not right. The person he commends is the guy that doesn't sin. Why does he commend the sinner? Because he knows he's a sinner and he's pouring himself out to his Savior. <laughs> See? Now, now watch. I, again, I could go a lot deeper on this, but I just want to show you how true this is. See, Jesus goes to somebody's house. A prostitute comes in. She begins to pour. She wipes his feet and begins to pour expensive perfume. The people in the house say he's undiscerning. Doesn't he know that the way she was able to afford that fancy perfume was because of her prostitution? And moreover, she uses that fancy perfume, perfume to leer men into her lair. Did I do good on that one? Okay. Lair and lair. Okay, whatever. I didn't do it right, did I? I didn't do it right? So I didn't do good. Oh, well, I tried. Okay. Now, now what I want to say is, so he's coming in. Now, Jesus knows what they're thinking, and look what he says. Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she, she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You know, you didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You know, right? You want to do that? 
but this is the love that she has for him. Look, you neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. She's anointed my feet with a rare perfume. I tell you, her sins are many. Is he discerning? They're a whole lot. <laughs> I get it. But they've been forgiven, and so she's shown me much love. A person who's forgiven little shows only little love. Do you want to be a person that loves God a lot? Or do you want to be a person that God loves God a little? See how God's economy once again flips on its head our religious feelings. See, I don't sin and I don't do things. And, you know, I, do I have, what need do I have of him? Again, let me make it clear. Like Paul, I'm not arguing for you to go out and sin. What I'm saying is, is that Jesus is showing us something about this whole sin thing that is the opposite of how we process it emotionally and rationally, intellectually. He's doing something very different. He says, the person that's forgiven much, that's the one that loves me. That person that's struggling with sin and comes back to me over and over and over and over. And even in your own mind, you're going, you know, God, I get that you forgave me at one. I get you forgave me at a hundred. I get that you forgave me at a thousand, but come on, I'm at 10,000. And what Jesus says about that is, is how much are we supposed to forgive again? Where do you stop? There isn't a stop. Jesus on the cross is for all. Jesus did not die for all of your sins up until the moment that you got saved. And then he's going to negotiate with you for the rest. You do know that's good Catholic theology right there. That's called purgatory. That's not true. And it demeans, I love you, and if you're Catholic in here, I love you, but that's not good, that's not a proper understanding of God. It takes, it steals from his grace. In fact, let me make it clear about grace. If you don't preach grace in a way that seems a little wrong, you are not preaching it right. And if you don't believe me, do look at Paul. Because Paul comes out and he starts talking to people about what grace really is. And here's what he says. And this is only one time in this letter, by the way, that he writes over and over. God's law has, was given so that people could see how sinful they were. But as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. Now there are people that are listening to that and they're saying, Paul, don't say stupid things like that. And the reason why is because it'll just make people think I should sin more so that his grace is abounding more, so that I love him more. See? Look, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? See, he's not making up that question. He's going, this is what people are accusing me of saying. Is he saying that? Of course not. <laughs> right? And look at the, you know, ex explanation points added for emphasis. That wasn't in the original Greek, okay? I put all those explanation <laughs> points in there. Okay? You see what I mean? Of course not. That's stupid. It is great to be victorious over sin. It is awesome. It is wonderful. And when you are, remember and thank the God who made you that way. Who got you there. You see? Because if you start saying, I'm the one that got me there, the problem is, is all of a sudden you're starting to take credit for a lot of things that God actually did. And moreover, you're just not understanding who you really are. Because the truth of the matter is, like it or not, what God says is, well, let me just, sorry, look at this. What shall we say about such wonderful things like we're talking about here, what grace really is? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us. Won't he also give us everything else? If he didn't spare his own son, what's he going to do with us? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then is going to condemn us? No one. Is it Christ Jesus? No. He's at the right hand of God interceding for you. Having seen the whole of your life from before you were born. And going to the cross for every sin, including the ones that haven't even entered your imagination yet. Again, when I say this, does this mean then that we should just go ahead and do whatever enters into our imagination? Of course not. 
But do understand who Jesus is. Do understand what God has done in Christ. Understand it properly. Who then is going to condemn us? No, Christ died for us. He's raised to life, raised to life for us. He's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. Please. Overwhelming victory. Not just in overwhelming victory. Oh, you are awesome. Not just overwhelming victory in the sense of I never sinned again. Is anybody going to heaven having never sinned? Even on their last day? Maybe on their last day, maybe. Okay, all right. In the last week, is that long enough for us all to escape the, any illusion that we go to heaven pure and, you know what I mean? We go to heaven pure because of his blood. We are a spotless bride right now. Because we have brought ourselves under his blood and he has washed us clean. Right? You see, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither fears for today, worries about tomorrow. Not powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that is the truth of the gospel. That is the truth of grace. And yet we don't live like it. Despite the fact that we have such outstanding examples of it. I mean, like I said, for the person that thinks, you know, I just don't have a lot of sin in my life, so gee, I guess I can't love God enough. No, the truth is, get to know God really well. Because in a minute we're going to show you that Paul had a big problem. But just show this, let me do this. Look, God has imprisoned everyone in disobedience so that he got mercy on everyone. And I kind of like the way the message did it, and I kind of hate it at the same time. So I want to bring it up because it'll, it'll reveal two things. In one way or another, God makes sure that we all experience what it means to be outside. Now, let me, that doesn't mean that he forcibly pushes us outside and makes us sin. That would be stupid to think, right? But here's what he does. If you will get close to Christ, he will show you how you might not be doing all those things that everybody else calls sin, but God does not grade on a curve. And the fact of the matter is, is that there's stuff going on in your life too that is so far from him. And if you were pursuing him, you would see it. And you would experience what it is to be outside so that he can open the door and welcome you back in. And you too would feel the love of God that forgives. continually, massively, beautifully, wonderfully, magnificently to where Paul just has that explosion. And, 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 and look, when Paul says this stuff, does anybody think that they're better off in terms of their sin life than Paul? I mean, honestly. You know what I mean, right? I mean, you know, Paul, come on, give me a break. I mean, that, that's the guy that we should be shooting for, right? So here we go. I don't understand, what I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another doing the things I absolutely despise. This is Paul. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. But it's something more. Because if I know the law but I still can't keep it, if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best interests, I need help. <laughs> Right? I realize I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't seem to do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide, to, I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. <laughs> Does anybody can relate to this? I don't want to show a hands just because, but can anybody relate here? Thank God for the Bible and its realness. Right? I mean, it's living where we're living. God has given us a book that is, an, that is a, a, a love letter to you about yourself and him. It happens so regularly, it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin trips me up. I delight in God's commands. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. <laughs> now, right there, that was worth the message translation on it, Right? I mean, that's the greatest line ever, right? It's pretty, I truly delight in God's command, but it's pretty obvious not all of me joins in that delight. <laughs> Parts of me covertly 
covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. That's Paul. <laughs> I want to say something right here, okay? I can't prove this or anything else. But Paul said, I have a thorn in my side. Now, where was the thorn from? He said, I have a thorn from Satan in my side. Now, when we read that, we think maybe he had bad eyesight or he had like gout or whatever, right? He had some disease or sickness, right? But Paul says, I have this thorn in my side and I've gone to God and begged him to deliver me from it. And God keeps telling me, my grace is sufficient. Paul says, you know, I've been up to heaven and I've seen things that are too wonderful to even speak about. And this thing keeps me humble. I want to propose to you that that may not be a physical problem, but that may be the very thing he was talking about in Romans 7. This thing that he just can't seem to get on top of, whatever it was. Do you see it? He's begged God to get rid of it. Haven't you begged God if you have something that you're struggling with? And again, if you don't, I love you, but seek him and you will find. Okay. How many of you are old enough, I should say, to know who Ed Cole is? You know, anybody know who Ed Cole is? Raise your hand. He's the father, of the father of the modern men's movement. He wrote a book called Maximizing Manhood back in the, I suppose it was late 70s, early 80s. If I got that wrong, don't string me up. But bottom line is, is Ed Cole writes this book about maximizing manhood. And the reason why, that, why, the reason why he's called the father of modern manhood, here's what that book was. A guy actually dared to write down what was actually going on in his head. If you read the book, it's like, oh, praise God, I'm not the only person dealing with this crap. That's what it's about. Now, this was a particularly bad book for me because my dad is the one who gave it to me and said, you really need to, they gave it to all the boys, all five of us, and said, you really need to read this. This is really important for all us men. Now, I just want to tell you something. I knew that I had those thoughts, and I was fine to find out that Ed Cole had those thoughts, but I was not cool finding out that my dad had those thoughts. Okay, this was not okay to me. And I, I say that, I'm joking, Dad, I love you, but I'm not kidding. All of the boys were going, you know what I mean? I don't know what's, you know, I, I, I'm in a very conflicted state right now, you know what I mean? I just had some guy tell me that my thoughts are not unusual, and, but I find out my dad's doing that too. I mean, come on, somebody, what hope do I have if he can't? And the answer is, it certainly isn't my dad. Our hope is not that somebody got through victoriously because the truth is nobody did. That doesn't give us license to not keep working on it. Here, here's the problem with Ed Cole's book, though. As much as I think it's a wonderful book and I'm really happy that it came out, it's the same problem that's in another book many more of you might know, which is how many of you know Every Man's Battle? Can you raise your hands on that one just to see? Yeah. Every Man's Battle. Now, here's what Every Man's Battle does. It does the same thing Ed Cole's book does, but then it goes into a little bit more detail about how to make it better. And by the way, anybody in here that's into 12-step, you know, AA and that kind of stuff, anybody that's into 12-step, when you read the book, you will see 12-step in there. It's not said that. It's not called that, but it's exactly what it is. And 12-step is, in the end, what we call behavior modification. And let me tell you something. Behavior modification is awesome. It works. It helps. It makes a big difference. Okay? If you will do things like know that when you're tired, you're more vulnerable. Know that when you stay up too late, therefore. Know that when you drink too much, that this is going to happen. Know that when you're, you know, when you're not in accountability. Know that when you're not in a group of people that are holding you and helping you and lifting your arms and so on, that it's more difficult for you and it's better if you do that. And, and if you understand these kinds of things, I mean, these are the 12 steps of behavior modification. They're right there. And there's great, 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 great value in there if you want to get over victory over your sin it's just understand something in the end it is just behavior modification and the problem with behavior modification as paul said was it works only to a point in fact tragically and this is the part i really want you to hear okay dr robbie comes up here and i've now verified it in several other books but dr robbie comes up here and he says interesting thing about christians Christians actually have much more problem with things like porn becoming a huge problem in their life than do people that aren't Christians, and here's why. It turns out that the harder you resist a sin, 
the more you're actually building the neural pathways for the sin to take place. So a Christian guy fights and fights and fights and fights, and what he's doing is he's strengthening and strengthening and strengthening and strengthening. Oh God, what hope do we have now? I'm not saying you shouldn't resist. I'm not saying you can't do behavior modification and really get phenomenal victory over. What I am saying is, is understand at some point in time, at some fundamental factor, you need a savior, not just better behavior. See it? Now, just so that I don't move on, this is not about how to get victory over sin, but there's a lot of guys right now and a lot of girls that are saying, yeah, but don't leave me hanging here, okay? So just to let you know, you know, this is understanding who Christ is, but look at this. The mind set on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Again, the message gets it pretty good. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Dead end, pun. Attention to God leads us out into the open into a spacious free life. And what I want to say is, is the bottom line is what we're talking about is being empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and do his ministry. And I do want to say something. The more that you are moving in the things of God and the more ministry of God, these other things just tend to fade away. It's not having to resist them as if your whole life was spent in a battle like this. What it is is it's taking you to a whole other playing field. And the other stuff just goes behind. It doesn't mean that there's not every once in a while something that sneaks up on you and you go, what the heck? But what it does mean is if you want to get away from it, just go somewhere else. See? Go to the things of God. Let him consume your thoughts. It'll make a huge difference in your life. So that's where victory is, and that's where Paul's pointing us to. He's saying be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit in terms of the fruit of the Spirit, being born again in the fruit of the Spirit, but also be filled with the Spirit in terms of moving in the things of God. It just makes an enormous difference. But again, I want to say, even there, we still need a Savior. Which is what Paul says when he says, is there no one who can do anything for me? Ah, thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. Now watch the nature of this answer. Is Jesus Christ our Lord the answer because he helps you get out of that sin so that you never do it again? He does the behavior modification with you and all that? It turns out that's not his answer at all. What it is, you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. So now, there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That is what we call in logic a non sequitur. If you're reading it as in, Jesus is going to get you victorious over every sin that you ever do. If what you're thinking that Jesus Christ coming means that you'll never have another problem with sin, and it'll just be gone from your life, what he's saying is, he's saying my sinful nature, I'm still a slave to sin. What has it got to do with no condemnation? Where does that come from? It's the cross. There's no condemnation because it's been paid for. There's no condemnation because not only has Christ paid for it, but he's a black belt in jujitsu. He takes the things that are coming at us, including our failures, and he redirects the energy into a love for this God who forgives me, saves me, empowers me, still moves through me. Oh my God, I love you. I cannot wait to go out and do more for you. Not to earn, not to, not to, not to, you know, not to do the bad thing because I'm doing so many good things I just don't have time to actually fall in love with Christ in the fullness of who Christ is. What Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. All have been imprisoned in disobedience. He's trying to take this energy that's coming at you in the sin, the temptation, and even your failures, and he's turning these things in a way that they suddenly fall down before you. And you trample them. How? 
Here, he comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us as light someone else who's going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. What is the good news? Jesus Christ has died for you. <laughs> Made you whole. Brought you home. Brought you to God. That's the good news. Now, I know that that's about hardness. You know, you go through a really difficult time and then you can comfort somebody else who's going through a really difficult time. But do read the heart of it. What's being said is even, you know what? I have found something out about sin. God doesn't care about it. Don't stone me just yet. <laughs> Let me make it more clear. We think that that's all that God cares about and that that's the big thing that would separate us from him. And it turns out that Jesus Christ on the cross already paid for that and already took care of that and there is nothing that separates us from it, period. So in that sense, he doesn't care about it. It's already taken care of. Here's what he does care about. You bringing the good news to somebody else of a God who saves them too. This is what he's calling us to do. Now let me end with this, just I hope it's a beautiful thought to you. But right there, I think, you know, that's right, and this is just a really short thing, but I want you to think about something. See, what we're talking about is the Holy Spirit coming upon us, empowering us to move through us, to make a difference in people's lives, right? Now I want to say, you really want to fall in love with God, let that happen. Okay? Really get to the point to where you're asking God in every situation, move through me to make a difference in their life, and you will fall in love with God in ways that will take you off into another playing field altogether more and more and more and more, and it's awesome and it's wonderful, and I could not have more highly recommend it to you, which is why we're going to spend about two years on it. <coughs> However, let me do say something. Watch this. The old saying is power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. What's the most power that there ever was, ever could be? The Holy Spirit, who made everything. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit moving through us can corrupt us. Has anybody seen that happen in the recent days with various ministers and so on? People who get filled up with things of the Holy Spirit and they begin to think that somehow the rules don't apply to them anymore? Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And guess what? God has a nice little fail safe in there, a nice little thorn in the flesh to keep us all humble. <laughs> 